Hi there, welcome back to the business side of fitness. This is your host, Vanessa Severiano. Each week on the show, we'll highlight fitness industry experts to learn about their personal journey and unique perspective. Through these conversations, we'll learn all about what it really takes to succeed in fitness. This show is brought to you by Vanessa Severiano LLC, specializing in fitness and wellness business development for impactful brands. The time has come to start the show. Everyone's got a story, and now it's time to hear from this week's guest. Let's welcome to the show, Deborah Strugo. She's the founder of Row House, which she and her husband launched in 2014 with the intention of scaling. Today, that dream has been realized with close to 100 studios locations opened and about 300 studios committed to after a bit over two years of franchising. Wow, that's a lot of studios. Welcome to the show. <laughs> Thank you, Vanessa. So excited to be here. I'm really excited to be here talking to you because actually we have some similarities. I was digging and doing my little in- investigative research on you, Deborah, over the last couple of months when I was, you know, looking at podcast guests. And actually we have some similarities. First of all, you went to Binghamton. I'm also a SUNY girl. I went to Geneseo. Oh, I didn't know that. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And around the same time, I was there from 97 to 2001. And then I saw that you were at Crunch in the early 2000s, which I was too. Well, that's probably why your name sounded so familiar to me. We are OG Crunch New York fitness people. That's so funny. <laughs> what clubs did you teach at? 33rd, right? 33rd and 3rd. The one on the west side, 38th. So we probably know some of the same people. Like I was just thinking about that. I'm like, oh my God, Janet Woodfin, if you're listening here. Of course. Janet, yep. shout out. So you worked with Donna Cyrus, of right? Of course, <laughs> yes, Donna Cyrus. Yeah, and you know, I need to talk to Donna actually or somebody because I remember back in the day doing fitness videos with Andrea and Bandos. And I just saw today with the Apple Fitness launch, it looks like they're using the same set that they were using back in the day when we did those crunch videos and self videos out in LA. So I'm curious if that's the case. It's so funny. It's such a small, <laughs> incestuous world in the fitness industry. And that's why I always tell people never burn a bridge. You never know when you're going to come across somebody that you used to work with or somebody that knows you. Like, even though the fitness industry is big, it's also kind of tiny. So Deborah, let's digress a little bit here. And how did you get started in the fitness industry? I got started because I went to a well-known high school in New York City. I, I was born and bred in New York City, and I went to the Bronx High School of Science, which was well-known for its academics, but not well-known for its sports or any sort of athletics. There were no fields or any of that. Um, and so for athletics or for activity, my friends and I, we all joined New York Sports Club on 86th Street in Manhattan and took step and slide classes. And maybe I think this was even pre-body pump. So that was basically how we were active after school. Uh, ultimately, I really wanted to be a step instructor. And so when I went to SUNY Binghamton, I bumped into a girl who I knew from back in the day at PS 158, my elementary school that had become a step instructor at SUNY Binghamton and convinced me, as did my boyfriend at the time, who kind of challenged me, 
that, you know, I should go out and get my AFA cert because it can't be rocket science to teach a step aerobics class. Well, to be honest, I think it's actually pretty hard to teach a step aerobics class. I never really figured it out. So I ended up teaching spinning and cycling as we discussed, you know, for Equinox, Crunch, New York Sports Club, all of those gyms for many, many years, um, just as a side hustle to my normal kind of day job that I had at the time in publishing because it was really fun. It kept me accountable to teach a class was to show up for a class. You know, you were not going to have 30 people sitting in that room waiting for the instructor and be the one that didn't show up for it. So that's kind of what got me going. I loved making my playlists. I loved creating my, my mixes and I loved, you know, the feedback, that instant feedback that you got from the room when people were doing the activity that you said they should do. It was just great. Oh, it's total magic. And anybody that thinks it's easy has clearly never exercised while giving instruction into a mic. I thought that it was pretty easy too. And I got my Johnny G spin certification and became a spin instructor also at Crunch. And I remember my first class being like so out of breath because I was taking the class and teaching the class. And it's so, so hard. Yes. Not only that, but obviously being the the leader, the energy, thinking of a million things while, you know, while trying to get that energy going. So at what point did you kind of take that side hustle and decide like, okay, I want to position this into a career. There's something more for me. Well, you know what? Also, Vanessa, I was just going to mention, it develops such thick skin, right? When you're the instructor up in the front of the room and somebody gets up and they walk out or, you know, the different things that happen they, during teaching that, that class while you're doing all of those things, I think it, it really developed such thick skin and it developed a lot of confidence for myself, um, which I think goes to your next question. When did I decide that I wanted to make it into more? I kind of always, you know, wanted to pursue fitness fitness. I actually, we mentioned Donna Cyrus, you know, she was one of the people at Crunch who kind of picked me up amongst others. And, you know, all these names, all these names, Marie Forleo, right? We all went out and we did our fitness videos and we did our press. And there was just so many different things. We did walkathons for Avon in the park where we would let up, you know, a group of 3000 people. And when I said, hey, stretch to the left side, that whole mob of people that was there before dawn to do this amazing walkathon in New York City, stretch to the side. There, so there was just so much magic, as you said, around fitness and around helping people and around helping people's lives. And I couldn't really understand why the only real opportunity at the time was to work for a big box gym, right? So I wanted to bridge fitness and business together, but I mean, I would have had to be a, a group fitness manager or a general manager, you know, climb that ladder at Equinox or one of the other gyms. And that I don't know. I think it was not entrepreneurial enough for me or not disruptive enough for me. And so I started to just kind of go out on the side and look for some different things that I can do, um, different ways to bridge fitness and business together. And really, this was in like 2005, and there wasn't so much out there to do. So I think that's when I started to think about how I could do my own thing. And so why rowing? Like, how did that come about? Where did you kind of connect those dots as like, okay, that's an opportunity that's not really happening. I mean, this was kind of, you were kind of like ahead of the boutique fitness trend, right? It was like big box and then it was nothing, working out in a park, right? Right. <laughs> so how did right. you connect those dots? 
Yeah, in 05 and 06, right around then, Boutique, I guess, was starting, you know, the notion of soul came up, you know, different instructor friends were starting to look at different ways to work in boutique or to start different brands. Obviously, thereafter, kind of the whole Peloton thing came. I'm a little unsure on the specific years, but I, I also had met my husband, Eric Von Froelich, in the fitness scene in 05. And he was actually doing something really innovative at that time, which is crazy to think now, but he was doing something called Road Fit, which was this outdoor as your gym sort of fitness program thing. So he was um, you know, a sports, very athletic focused trainer um, who had started to teach group fitness classes focused in speed, agility, and quickness, those types of um, movement patterns. And he started this business called RoadFit, where basically he took people out into the streets of Central Park and used the city as the gym and used scaffolding for pull-ups and, you know, ran the stairs at Bethesda Fountain and all of that. And this was really before a lot of those boot camps that had popped up. If you remember, like Stacy's boot camp and all of these other um, boot camp programs that came. And because prior to that, it was really about studio fitness and it was really predominantly female. Um, and then, you know, obviously later men started to get a little bit more involved in these types of programs. And then CrossFit came. So we also, uh, a little bit later, had um, started our first CrossFit gym, right? And that was a place for Eric to do some of his sports training as well for his clients. Um, and I had dabbled for a little bit in uh, doing a fitness tech platform called fitisens.com, which was really before its time, it was a way to bring experts and enthusiasts together um, on a digital platform so that fitness professionals could have digital tools. And this was in like 06 or 07. So we were both playing in the space in a lot of different ways, trying to figure out what was, you know, a good thing to keep moving through. I ended up in hospitality for a little bit, working for New York City, which was great. I know you recently had... Um, the CMO from Les Mills on, and she was also in hospitality. So that was interesting to think about how, you know, being in hospitality really helped and tourism really helped to look at, you know, developing a fitness business. But it wasn't until about 2012 that we were really ready to launch Row House, even though we knew that it was a viable idea. Um, when we kind of wrote a one sheet that we still have today, from 2008. So here we are, you know, like 12 years later and the idea was great. It was just, we kind of had to take a little bit of time to get ready to, you know, launch it. And what was the process of launching? Like, did you secure financing? Did you um, take on any, any investment? What, what was that team like putting together the right people to create that kind of perfect storm? What did that look like? Well, you know, when you launch any business, I guess, ignorance is bliss, right? You, you go out there, you have a lot of conviction, you believe in the concept and you believe that you can do, you know, in our case, you can do it together. We self-funded it. We really self-funded Row House. We had gotten some operations experience in starting EVF, uh, which was a CrossFit gym on the Upper East Side. And we knew that 
we know knew now how to you know do brick and mortar. We knew how to do payroll. We knew how to make sure that the lights were on. We knew how to do a simple build out. We had looked at all of the tools, you know, the vendor tools from the mind bodies of the world to all of that. Get all the insurance. We had figured some of those things out already on our first business, and so for the second one, we're like, okay, we're going to create now a second brand, a totally different brand. And we're going to self-fund it because our first one was working out pretty well. So like, why wouldn't we do a second one? So we launched a second brand at the exact same time. The real goal was just to get more people fit. That's really all it was, that there was this notion that cardio was pretty limited to spinning or cycling. Obviously, we had taught a ton of cycling classes, so we had been part of that cycling craze. I was also Johnny G certified. And by the way, I had bumped into Johnny G now a few years back, I think at Ursa and Johnny G was like, Oh, row house people, you know, this rowing thing, this is so great. After all my years on the bike, I just need to tell people that they need to go out and get rowing too. And I have that testimonial. And that made so much, meant so much to my husband and I, because obviously we were Jenny, Johnny G aficionados. So I think, again, we kind of had the conviction. So we went out, we self-funded it. We believed in it. But of course, you know, when you get your doors open and you're doing something new and you're trying to get people who have never gone on a rowing machine on a rowing machine what, or, or even people who have used a rowing machine in a completely different fashion than you're intending to use it. it it's a long road. You know, you deal with a lot, a lot of doubt and you have to just stay the course and stay the conviction and remember why you started. And, you know, that's really, I think, over the course of time, what we focused on and also just proving the model and figuring out how to speak to people better, how to get people to love it in less time, right? Eight classes in, and that's when they decide that they like it. You can't do that. You need to shrink that window so that they want to come back and that any person that walks through the doors wants to stay with you for a long period of time. So, um, yeah, the, the road was long. I mean, the studio opened in 14, our first studio, and we self-funded until 17 when we did a partnership with Exponential to scale through franchising. And that was primarily because we knew it would be our quickest way to really continue to pioneer that rowing market and get more people on the machines for a great workout. Right. I think that's every entrepreneur or founders like dream, right? <laughs> to start something and then take it to scale either, you know, through a, through a, a great tra- strategic partnership. So did you pursue that partnership or did you just garner attention throughout the fitness industry? Um, we did garner attention throughout the fitness industry, um, also through Concept2, which, you know, is really the original maker of the rowing machine. And they had watched what we were doing and they were kind of sharing throughout their their global network that, you know, Deborah and Eric knew what they were doing and we were the people to watch and stuff. Um, they were huge supporters and great partners as well over the course of time. And, um, so yeah, so people would come through, you know, different investors. We did have three different potential partnerships lined up. One was to do a technical route where it would have been, you know, direct to home with our brands. One was to do a corporate owned studio path. And then the third was obviously this franchise path that we 
decided to do. A big part of the reason that we did go the franchise path was because it did mean quick growth, um, the quickest. And it also for us meant not being involved so much on the day to day, which was a good thing for our family. We have three kids and, you know, wanted to have some time back for ourselves and for each other. Um, and, you know, it's hard when you're kind of out there pioneering this year after year after year to even spend time with your kids in the playground to not feel guilty that you're not at home, you know, on a Saturday afternoon growing your brand and business. So that was um, part of the reason that we made that decision at that time, you know, and a great decision because here we are and we have substantially grown the brands, but we did explore pretty much all of our different options and had different things lined up because of course we wanted to make the best decision that we possibly can with the people that had kind of come to fruition and gathered around us and that we had sought out. I love that you had so many different options on the table because I think that's, again, that's like a founder's dream come true, right? I mean, I think in business, it's so important to explore the different options before making a commitment, but I want to dive in a little bit deeper on, you know, what it's like to be a mom, be a founder in the fitness industry. You know, I don't know. I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, but just throughout my career in fitness, I'm oftentimes the only female at the table, right? The, the only female in, in leadership. Um, I'm not saying that that's the case for every brand or every person, but that was just, you know, my, my personal experience. So, um, and, you know, being a mom and having two kids, I mean, now they're teenagers, but that was always really hard for me balancing, you know, being a mom and being available to my kids and also being in a business that let's face it, running brick and mortar gyms, it's a 24 seven job, right? There's always somebody that forgot their key to close. There's some issue, you know, people are calling you and you just have to be available, you know, kind of round the clock. So I'd love to hear how that was for you and how you managed to balance it all. Absolutely. I know. Yes, it's a lot. You know, I had a boss um, when I worked for New York City and Company in the tourism division of New York City who said to me, she was a mom and she said, you know, Deborah, the bottom line is you're when you are working full time and you're a mom and you're a wife you know, and your daughter, you're always going to be pissing somebody off. So it's kind of a question of, you know, who are you going to piss off at what point? And you just kind of have to keep cycling through. And I remember thinking, wow, that's really bleak. I mean, wow, I don't want to live my life always pissing off somebody that I care about. But um, I think that the point was that you have to have compassion for yourself and understand that you can't be all things to all people at all of the time. Um, I try to be extremely present for whoever I'm with. Um, I'm sure people will say that there have been times I haven't been present for them, but you know that meant walking in the house, turning off my phone, putting it away until after bedtime. You know, logging back on afterwards. That meant when I was sitting at a meeting with my staff or you know team, making sure that I was super present, not focused on other things. Um, it, you know, a lot of times it meant when being in the studio. 
um, only being there when I was able to be present for the studio and not when I was trying to do other work and, you know, hiding away. And it used to be a joke, like, what did people think I did during the day if I was hiding away? Did they think I was getting my nails done? Because there's so much work to be done behind the scenes when you're growing your own business. And I think the other thing also is that, you know, at the end of the day, the idea is that you have to be willing to hire a team, even though it is expensive. And I think you even posted something about this, Vanessa, recently, like you can't scale unless you put trust in other people. You just can't. And you need other people on the front lines because otherwise you just get bogged down by all the stuff that you like hate and you can't do or, you know, just clogs your, your uh, creativity and that's scary, right? Because you're promising somebody a job or some, you know, compensation or something like that um, in hopes that, you know, it, it all works out. But that's also where it comes back to, you know, knowing your mission, knowing your vision, making sure that anybody that you're bringing on to kind of your team is with you, right? Because if they're not, and listen, we've all made mistakes and hired the wrong people. Um, but ultimately, when you find those people that are with you, you know, you can go out and you can do it together. I've been really fortunate, I do think, over the course of my career. Um, and maybe this is because I really have done much of it out of New York City. But to be surrounded by a lot of strong women, um, women mentors, other women um, brand founders out of New York city. You know, there are a lot of us women, I think in the fitness industry more so maybe in boutique, maybe in New York, then it does feel like there are in some of these other fitness brands, because I have heard people saying that, you know, it's predominantly male. Um, and I've seen that certainly, you know, in some of maybe the, the bigger boxes as well. Right. And, and listen, I love guys. I'm married to one. I have two sons. (laughs) I'm raising two of them, but it is, it it is, you know, what you said makes a lot of sense being compassionate towards yourself, right. Understanding like you can't be all things to all people and also understanding like, Hey, there, you have to ask for help, whether that's, you know, at I've had many nannies throughout the years. I've had many people on my team that I had to lean on at work just to make it all all happen, right? There's a lot of logistics, but you just have to figure it out to make it all run seamlessly. So Deborah, now you've had this, you know, great partnership with Exponential and you, you've scaled Row House. And so now what's next for you? How are you working in the fitness industry, supporting brands and, you know, what's what's happening next? Yeah, well, I'm I'm thinking that through, you know, I think um, something that I've always loved to do is kind of find a white space opportunity and go out after it. Um, and even in my corporate experience, that's what was happening in those types of businesses. We were really, you know, disrupting, differentiating, figuring things out and going out after it. And I think that's what's kind of also given me some of the conviction to do it when on my own. Um, so I, I, I'm getting the itch, you know, I'm eager. I have an idea and something that's kind of pretty groundbreaking. And I'm, I'm figuring out now if that's that leap I want to take. Um, keeping in mind, you know, as a founder, when you start something new, it takes time. It takes more time than you thought. It takes more conviction than you thought, right? But when you have that itch and and when you feel like you need to go out and do it, it's hard to kind of stifle it, you know? So there's that. Um, but really at the end of it is what I'm 
what I'm the most passionate about is building brands and, um, you know, I'm looking at some different ways that I can help others support others in the brands that they're building, because we do have a lot of exciting things going on in the fitness and the health and wellness space. And at the end of the the day, you really need to just know your customer, target that customer, go out with a really, really strong value proposition, you know, and make sure that that's heard through every single touch point within your business, right? So whether it's in your client facing content and communications, whether it's your training protocols for, um, you know, your, your staff and your team and your business, whether it's in your investor decks, whether it's, you know, your partnership materials to bring on the right partners. I'm really, really passionate about making sure that we, we, we as founders or business leaders are speaking our best language and firing on all cylinders um, with regards to what our brands and our value proposition is if we want to go out and just further these businesses and take them to the next level. Because ultimately in health and fitness, we know that this is passion driven, right? We're helping people, we're helping them live better lives. And so all of these businesses should be successful. We just have to make sure, you know, that we're as strong as we possibly can be as we go through the day-to-day work. Oh, that's my jam. You're talking my language right now. I think that, you know, one mistake that I see some brands make is they're not clear enough on their value and they use language that's too complex or abstract to communicate to the client, you know, what they offer. You know, it doesn't have to be so complicated to resonate with people. Sometimes you have to like slow down to speed up, right? Like sometimes we're like so caught up in like, what's next? How can we like come up with some cool campaign or, you know, what's some like jazzy messaging, but really it's just communicating the value of what you offer. So what do you, you know, what can consumers expect when they, you know, interact with your brand? You know, what does your brand stand for and all of those things? Um, What are some opportunities that you're seeing in the fitness industry right now? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. To your point. I mean, there's a brand that I kind of caught on to that I love. I, I love the idea. I love the logo. I think it's great, but I signed up for their newsletter and every single thing I'm getting for them is so promotional. It's like really promotional. They're not really nurturing me as a client. They're not using content to tell the story and to make me more interested in their product to buy it for maybe the full price, right? They're just showing, you know, shoving promos in my faces, my face. So I think, um, you know, to your point, when you have a strong value proposition and you stand out there and you're, you're standing on it, then there's, there's just so much more that a customer wants out of it and believes that it'll give back to them. Um, and I, I just think that's really important as opposed to devaluing your product, but, um, what, what are the opportunities out there? Listen, there are a lot, I mean, so many with regards to product. I think, um, uh, whether it's, you know, the supplements of the world, the vitamins, living more healthfully, eating more healthfully. Um, I'm very passionate about hydration. Um, you know, the sleep, I think what, what's going on in sleep is extremely interesting. We know that we're sleep deprived and we know we're dehydrated (laughs) as general people. I'm also extremely interested, you know, in just motivating people off the couch. That's really what Row House has been about is getting people off the couch with a low impact way that they can get exercise, exercising. And I think a lot of these new concepts have a need for education, right? So how do you educate your customer and nurture your customer and get your customer jazzed and excited 
for what you're offering them. But again, you know, we can't devalue ourselves. So I, I think there's a lot of opportunities out there. I'm glad to see that um, fitness professionals are coming more, you know, uh, front lines, I guess you could say, um, to to or to the consumer. You know, I'm glad to see a lot of these tech platforms starting um, for today's day and age where, you know, the fitness instructor is getting connected directly to you in your home. I think that's great because I think at the end of the day, fitness instructors are super important. They're super impactful in making a difference to keep people moving and anything again, that we could do to get more people moving is key to, you know, the health and happiness of our society. Amen, girl. <laughs> mm-hmm. I love that. Yeah, I I do. I it makes me so happy after so many years of seeing, you know, various fitness instructors that are just like raw talent. Um, you know, running around from, I mean, I remember in New York, like people were like literally teaching a class in one studio, taking the subway, rushing to another studio to teach another class and like running all over the city. And that's hard, you know, and to be doing that for, you know, in perpetuity, it's really, really like it wears on you, you know, and when you're in your young twenties, that's great, but you can't like, it's not fair to age out of that. Right. So I love that there are tools for fitness instructors to monetize themselves in different ways right now. It makes me so happy to know that there's just options like we were talking about earlier, right? You can have a combination thereof. You can have your direct to audience um, offering and then be in club as well. And then I also, Deborah, love what you were talking about with getting the newsletters and, and having those just not resonate with you. I think, you know, one thing that I always talk about is like, I hate freaking discounts. I hate discounts. I'll say it again and again. I think, you know, when you're, when you're, communicating to consumers. It's like give, give, ask, right? So you're not, not everything is offer driven. Not everything is like, okay, well, what discount, what promo code can we give today? You know, like that just devalues your brand. Like you were saying earlier, there's, there's other options and other ways to communicate to consumers by educating them, by building value and, and explaining what makes your brand unique. Um, yes. And, and, you know, a constant feedback loop, right? Just having some way to get a constant feedback loop to your point, what's resonating with customers. And it's almost like what we had discussed earlier. When you taught a fitness class, you saw it firsthand, right? If you were in that studio and you saw, I am losing people on this song. I am losing people on this move. I am losing people when I tell a personal story that nobody cares about, you know, you saw that feedback loop. And that's one thing I'm actually uh, a little intrigued by is with all of this digital at home programming, how do we know when we're losing people? That's going to be an interesting thing um, to gather and intelligence on. Right. Everybody's so focused on data, but it's like, okay, I'm interested in energy, right? (laughs) Energy exchange, (laughs) right? That that's in real time, as opposed to having to pull a report, right? There's no report. Mm -hmm. When somebody gets up off the saddle and walks out of your class, yeah, you're like, okay, let me take a turn here. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And like, and again, and it's the thick skin, like, did it matter? Did it not matter? Well, how many times has that happened to you? You know, and did, did five people walk out at once? (laughs) You know, we've all had that happen happened to us, right? Yeah. I mean, definitely. There's just been so many 
I always say like there needs to be more reality shows inside of gyms and studios because there's like, you know, if, if we mm-hmm. could tell the stories of the cast of characters that we've encountered both on the employee team side and clients, there's a, there's a lot of stories there. So Deborah, if somebody's listening to this and they need some support with their branding, they're looking to connect with you to find out more, how can they do that? Yeah, LinkedIn. I'm all about the LinkedIn. As you said, I've been kind of vocal on LinkedIn lately. So that's the best place, Deborah Strugo. Vanessa, thank you so much. I love the podcast and I love all of the information that you're putting out for everybody. It's been a lot of wonderful segments that you've um, put out in just you know a short couple of months. So please keep it up because they're so great to listen to and see who's doing what out there. Thank you so much. I love learning from entrepreneurs like yourself and I'm a kind of go big or go home kind of girl. So when I decided that I was doing this, I was like, all right, let's release two a week and we'll keep it moving. Mm, <laughs> so yes. thanks so much for Gone making big. to come on. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome. Thank you. Have a great day. Take care. Hi everyone. This is your host, Vanessa Severiano. I have a huge favor to ask of you. If you found value in this episode, I'd love it if you would please subscribe, review, and share this episode. It would really mean so much to me. I truly love connecting with fitness and wellness experts. So if you'd like to be on the show or are looking for help in your business, definitely drop me a line and connect with me. You can find me at hello at vanessaseveriano.com or my social media handle. Since my last name is not the easiest to spell, I'm going to go ahead and make it really easy for you and link my contact details in the show notes. Thanks again for listening. Catch you on the next episode.